your host, Billy Buttery, and welcome to Food is Culture, a podcast. Today's guest is a registered dietitian. She's an expert and word on family nutrition, and frankly, just a super nice woman. Nisha Saxena is wonderful. Growing up in Sarnia to immigrant parents, she explains that her parents moved here and the goal was to embrace and integrate into the Canadian way of life. She is first-generation Canadian, both her parents born in India, and as she explains, it's far too simple to say she grew up eating, quote, Indian food. She takes the time to explain the different regions her parents are from. We once again explore how different regions in the same country offer very different food experiences, even different languages. I'm reminded of an old saying, if a bird and a fish were to fall in love, where would they live? As her parents showed, they would build a home that suited both of them. With English being their middle ground, they immigrated to Canada to raise their children here. It was pretty Romeo and Juliet for the time, says Nisha herself. I love her recalling how even as a child, she found family dynamics at the dinner table interesting, and I couldn't agree more. One of my biggest takeaways was that her philosophy on food is not only that it nourishes us, but the time spent at the table as a family is just as important for our children and ourselves to flourish. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Cheers! Hi, Nisha. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Belly. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to talk about yourself and then to talk about your work. I'm just like super, super jazzed for this. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so how would you describe your cultural background? So my cultural background is I myself am a first-generation Canadian. So I was born and raised in southwestern Ontario here in Canada, but my parents immigrated to Canada in 1968 from the country of India. Um, And they are actually, you know, India is obviously an extremely diverse, rich, um, but also a very large country. So they are actually from two different parts of India. My mother is from the west, western side of India. My father's from the far north, which means that they are actually completely different cultures. So they, though they are both from India, uh, when I grew up, I was growing up with this sort of um, dual aspect to Indian culture because there's over 300 different dialects within India. There's hundreds of different micro, you know, religions and and sort of belief systems there. So that is kind of another interesting piece. That's so cool. So I'm guessing there's different dishes and different cultural celebrations. Absolutely. So um, my father's side of things is kind of a more typical um, some of the Indian food that you would think about eating at a restaurant, which is called Mowgli style, which is the food of the, um, you know, we from some of the royals. And it okay. came from the north of India that the Mowgli's that were the royal um, sort of the kings and emperors within India. And so that food being north is in a colder climate. And so the way they prepare the food, how the spices they use, the dishes are completely different than where my mother's from in Mumbai. She's from a very small sect of a specific type of um, a culture that came from from thousands and thousands of years ago was originally Persian. And so that type of food and the religious practice, the language, um, ingredient, everything is totally different. So for instance, my parents between like the same word for green bean would be mm-hmm. two different words, which they would often bicker about. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And do you speak both dialects? No, I do not. Absolutely not. So what's interesting too, Billy, is I'll tell you, you know, kids that come and immigrate to this country or families nowadays have a really different viewpoint. In 1968, the goal for many immigrants and their families was assimilation. And Mm -hmm. so I can actually speak French. Um, I'm not bilingual, but I can Mm -hmm. definitely speak French quite well um, compared to, you know, sticking with having our uh, home language. The other added um, challenge is it's like my parents didn't speak the same language. So the language they spoke in common when they met, when they met at a party was English. 
because wow. my father doesn't speak my mother's native Indian dialect mm-hmm. and my my mother does not speak that. So it kind of was a bit of a, it, you know, it's a bit of a drag. I would love to be able to speak more fluently with some of my cousins. But at the same point, I saw the value of immigrants in the early 60s. It was still Canada, as wonderful as it is, not necessarily the most welcoming environment for immigrants and still um, there still prevails a lot of racism that's kind of present structurally and systemically. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the idea was to have our children be the most accepted here. We want to make sure that they speak properly. So my father's actual goal is to make sure that I could speak English very well, which I can. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. You can, of course. <laughs> yeah. And so you didn't grow up in Toronto. I'm assuming you No, grew up in- I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario, which is about three and a half hours southwest of Toronto. And that's, a, that I would, I mean, I've been to Sarnia, I think once, and it seems very small. Very, <laughs> very small. It's one of the only towns, and it is a city, but it's one of the only towns in Ontario that I remember seeing the um, Ontario Provincial Highway sign. You know, when they have those population signs, mm-hmm. it actually went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the only one I've ever seen wow. that growing up and going back and forth, the numbers they actually had to decrease on there. So that's funny. Yeah, it, it's a yeah small town. <laughs> well, I love that story about your parents. It's like they really were truly so in love that they didn't even speak their own language to each other. They had exactly. to find common ground. I love that. Yeah, they did. They really, really, they were doing some diff- really shocking stuff in 1968 to not have arranged marriages and to just madly fall in love with each other while they were doing their university degrees was pretty Romeo and Juliet for the time. Totally. I love that. Um, what is your first memory of food? Ooh, good question, Billy. Mm. My first memory of food. That's a great question. I would almost say, um, yeah, I definitely remember being fed by my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an extremely hands-on mother. She's a wonderful, yeah, she's just she is an amazing mother. Um, she has dementia now though. So it's hard because she doesn't remember a lot of these memories, but mm-hmm. I definitely remember she made all of our food from scratch. And I remember her sitting with me and smiling and spoon feeding me because at the time, that's what you would have done with a baby. I think I might've had pablum or something like that as my first food, to be honest. That's amazing that you remember that young. That's fantastic. Yeah. So pablum, so not necessarily like a cultural dish. <laughs> not yet, but it, it soon <laughs> kicks in quickly because there's lots yeah. of foods like dal as an example. Um, they make a style of dal called kitchri, um, which is kind of similar to other, other Asian cultures. Like in China, they would have kanji, different kinds mm-hmm. of kanji. It's a similar type of dish that's very popular to feed babies because it's mild very iron rich, has lots of carbs. It's the perfect baby food. So I actually recommend that to lots of my clients, but that would definitely be one of the first Indian cultural foods that I ate. But being Canadian, right? I grew up eating a lot of like typical Canadian, uh, Anglo-Saxon sort of (laughs) type of foods as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you would say for sure your mother was the food teacher. Yes. My mother definitely was the person that uh, fed us the most, cooked the most. Although my dad is a, he did cook. I do remember him cooking because there was some very specific special dishes that only my dad knew how to make. And again, because of their difference in culture, um, you know, my dad would be making these dishes. They're not something my mother would have ever understood or knew Mm -hmm. about. So he definitely cooked things. So he was more of like the special dish food cook. He wasn't like the everyday food cook. And I mm-hmm. just also want to remember one of the very first foods I ate came to me right now, cream of wheat. 
Oh, cream of wheat. Cream I haven't of wheat. had that in forever. I know. It's so delicious. And there's actually a way to make it so that you make it um, a little thicker. And it's called halwa in Hindi. But it's um, that's the, I totally remember sitting down and eating that cream of wheat. And I loved the taste of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for your celebration foods, would you say that your dad sort of made like the celebration or like the special occasion foods because it was a little bit different than your everyday food? I think that he would some, yes. So sometimes he would be the one in charge of making, I would say it was more like specific dishes. Like when he was like, we're going to have a dish that your great, great grandmother taught me how to make, you know, none of these recipes were written down. They didn't Mm -hmm. write them down. They didn't record them, but they were just passed down. And my dad would have to memorize them because he actually enjoyed cooking. Uh, um, He's an engineer. So he just loves like figuring things out. And so um, he would learn those. And sometimes he would say, you know, no, we're going to have this tonight. It's going to be amazing. Um, special occasions, you know, our family celebrated every single holiday there was. If there was a holiday or a party or any kind of, we, we didn't limit it to just our own cultural occasions. So mm. I would say my mother would take full charge of so many special occasions. Thanksgiving was huge in our household. Christmas, huge. Um, We would have huge New Year's celebrations with all different kinds of specialty foods. Um, My mom would bake cakes for birthdays from scratch. So Mm -hmm. she did a lot of special items. My dad just cooked like dishes that no one else knew how to cook that were really, really interesting and delicious. But no standout because they were different. Yeah, they were different. And even today, you know, he still does sometimes make certain Indian dishes that no one else knows the recipe to these very specific dishes to the north in the desert of India. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other really interesting difference between my parents is my mother grew up on the coast. So she grew up eating seafood and fish for her whole life. She grew up in a, an area uh, right on the coast, right beside the the ocean. And Mm -hmm. so my father had never, ever had any of those types of foods, seafood or fish or anything until he met my mother. He didn't even know what they were. That's crazy. Yeah. So she was definitely the seafood fish specialist. (laughs) Amazing. Um, What would you say is your favorite dish from your childhood? I have to say my hands down favorite, um, the food that I remember that just you know, takes me back to my childhood this is a very specific type of doll made with mung doll. Um, it's just like a classic, you know, lentil dish. I'm sure your, your listeners are very familiar with that. It's very popular mm-hmm. all around the world. And, uh, that with rice and fried onions mm. <laughs> of all the things. So just, there's a thing called denshak, which is what you add to the doll after you cook it to give it a lot of its flavor, right? So you might put garlic and you put in, you make sure you roast all your spices first, then you add the fat, then you add black pepper. And so you kind of create this sort of like an oil infused mixture that you then add in at the end. And I love my mother, God bless her, but she did sometimes she sometimes burned food. She she oh. was very like a very busy working mother. My mother was a physical therapist. Um, oh, wow. She had a very busy practice, had her own business um, for many years. Um, but in early years was working, you know, like a mm-hmm. full-time working mother. So sometimes she would throw stuff on the stove and then we'd just be like throwing laundry in and managing me and my brother. And yeah. so, and eventually though, I actually love burnt onions. So I would get these onions, they'd get really caramelized on their own and I'd have a separate pile of onions on top of my doll. And that is really, really, really comfort food for me. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that growing up, you primarily ate um, more ethnic foods as opposed to, but then some Canadian foods sort of like mixed in? Yeah. I mean, I say it was a balance. We probably ate Indian cultural foods like three times a week, at least four, I'd say three for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we, we, as, as people, you know, I think culturally, even I will speak for all Indian people right now, which is a strange thing to do, but I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> we're also interested, right. In 
when you move to another country, you, you know, my parents weren't of the mindset that they just wanted to like live here, but only practice things from wherever they emanated from. They really wanted to like be part of Canadian culture and, you know, assimilate in some ways in terms of like having their kids enjoy life here and what all this Canada has to offer. So absolutely. We ate everything from, you know, regular sort of English style, you know, meat and potatoes, uh, meals through to um, pastas, you know, all of the kind of sort of really standard North American diet meals that a lot of families have. We ate those as well. And in Sarnia, obviously you guys have fast food restaurants, yep. <laughs> restaurants. Yeah. So was there like one of your favorite restaurants to go with a treat or, okay, you pick dinner. What do you want to have? A great question. We definitely did have fast food. I will say, I think we had a lot less than a lot of my friends. I do remember that, that my parents tended to cook a lot of food from scratch. And I think it's something I really value that they did that. Of course, we had fast food though. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an older brother. So he, like McDonald's was definitely on the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I will say that I don't particularly remember being really drawn to fast food. So we would have it, but it wasn't. it wasn't like a huge like I wasn't super excited about it, but McDonald's was there. I definitely remember having, having that plain hamburger and, and, or sorry, having a cheeseburger. And then for a while I really hated the pickle. And then I started to love the pickles. So you pick it off, but then I would add, (laughs) then I would ask for extra pickles. So there was a change, the shift that happened there. Mm -hmm. And the craziest fast food that I remember eating that I loved, I can't believe I'm admitting this on camera, but I'm going to, here you go, Billy. It's a first. (laughs) It's a first. Was KFC in the seventies made that macaroni and cheese salad. Oh yes. Bright neon orange. I don't know what was in there. I don't know what was in there, Billy. I loved that mac and cheese. Oh, I can taste it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did really, oh, I will say my absolute favorite thing, and it might still be my favorite thing is French fries. Mm. I loved French fries from literally anywhere. (laughs) McDonald's, KFC had the crinkly ones. McDonald's Mm -hmm. had the weird like stick type ones. And then we also grew up down near um, obviously a lake and therefore we had a chip truck. And that Mm -hmm. was a big treat is going and getting chips under the bridge for French fries. Yes. I love chip trucks. Yeah. I love them. Um, Do you remember your first time eating at a friend's house and what that was like? I do. I think I do vaguely. Um, And I remember thinking that it was nice. It was, it was a really interesting feeling because I, it was more for me eating. We always ate together. We ate a lot together as a family, almost always my entire life, almost all meals, not, not sure there was definitely times we were missing that. So what I found when I ate at my friend's houses, I wasn't noticing as much the food. I was noticing the dynamic, you know, when we're okay. talking about this right now, it's really interesting actually, because it's making me think this is part of why I am so interested and passionate about the work that I do. Because I more remember eating at someone's house and looking around at everybody and being mm-hmm. like, I wonder who's going to talk. Who's the head of the household? You know, how, what's going to happen here at this meal? Like, do people finish their food? I was very interested in the dynamics of eating as much as the food that was offered. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to grow up. There was, there was a few different cultures. It was pretty, um, homogeneous where I grew up, but Mm -hmm. there were several other, you know, different groups of immigrants, uh, very common in that timeframe and starting those immigration from many different countries. And so, yeah, I remember thinking sometimes some of the food was great. Other times I thought, wow, I am so glad that I don't, (laughs) that my parents are really good cooks because some of my friends' parents were really bad cooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, what did you used to bring for lunch to school? Oh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So this was an interesting point. And this is something that um, 
it annoys me a little bit. I remember that, you know, there would have been the opportunity. Lunch was something that was really quick and speedy. And I remember it just being, there was a lot of sandwiches. There was years of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, That's definitely when we would have more like packaged food items. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really annoyed me was not being able to have like a proper lunch at school. I mean, it just wasn't a priority. It still really isn't a priority in schools, which is really frustrating Um, in particular in Canada, even worse in the U.S., Um, I do think it's something we really need to shift in the system here. What I did notice is that some of the other, there was a lot of Indian immigrants in Sarnia at that time. And some of my other friends that were of Indian descent, but had immigrated here and perhaps some were born in Canada, but some weren't, would have Indian cultural foods at lunchtimes. And I know that that was something that they got made fun of for. And that was something that really, really upset me. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was like a painful point to think that there really is this huge difference um, that other children were noticing in even the lunch a child would eat. And that, you know, if it was that different, that was weird. And it was like, mm-hmm. it was weird and it was different and it was bad. And all of the negative shaming and the connotation around lunch meals, I really can see that that's something that's changing dramatically, even in my own kids' lunches. My children are seven and nine, and uh, our kid, they, there must be kids from 20 different countries in their school. And so it's a huge shift, right, in that many mm-hmm. years from the 60s until now, how we look at celebrating other children's backgrounds and cultures and celebrations and, and being interested in what they might have at lunch instead of shaming them. So I, I kind of stuck to pretty... Canadian lunches, mostly just because my mom was in a big rush and putting Mm -hmm. together like a Tiffin box of like rice and dal (laughs) and chapati and that would have taken a long time. So, but I would have liked to have more culturally diverse lunches for sure. Growing up, what was your, what was your favorite celebration food? Or did you have something that, you know, when you're, when it was a birthday or a holiday, your mom was like, okay, I'm for sure making this dish. This dish is on the menu, hands down. Mm, Oh, that's a good question. Um, Celebration and holiday food. Uh, well, the cakes were big. My mom mm-hmm. would make really great cakes. Um, so for birthdays, and that, that was always a really exciting thing. Um, and then there were some certain, um, yeah, there was some certain like a biryani, like rice dishes that were really uh, exciting to have. It's tough. A lot of seafood dishes. Yeah. Seafood dishes were very celebratory. So my mother would make really oh amazing like um, shrimp and fish, whether it was Indian style or not, that was like a big treat having, we're a big seafood family, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was probably one of the first people I knew that actually would be having raw oysters mm-hmm. as a child, you know, for like a new year celebration or Christmas mm-hmm. time or, you know, and then, Oh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is just a huge thing at our house. My mother would make homemade stuffing from scratch and I love it. Nice and dry. She put mm-hmm. some celery in there and it was like, she make it with stale bread, I love, I looked forward to that. Like my mouth waters thinking about it now. The second thing that my mother made that I didn't know anyone else that she made was she, my mother grew up in colonial India. So India was colonized at the time and not a free nation um, democracy. And because of that, uh, obviously there was a huge impact of British food there. And my mother grew up making trifle. Oh, wow. So she used to make really amazing, delicious trifle. When I remember the stale pound cake and the custard and blueberry and strawberry and cherry filling and just making the trifle with her. She had a beautiful trifle um, dish. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that was a major special deal to get that too. Well, and that's so British. I mean, yeah, I've only ever British. had it made by a Brit. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't think I have ever actually had trifle made by a British person, but I love trifles delish. Amazing. And who is the chef now at home, at your home? Well, let's be real, Billy. It's me. 
Now, what I'm going to say, what I'm, the hidden loads of motherhood. The, yeah. So, I mean, I do think, you know, in my age group, I'm Gen X, you know, we, we married people, we had, it were probably slightly more traditional than a lot of our younger Gen Z millennial generation that kind of look at that as a different mode. I will say that as a different responsibilities, but my husband is not, it's not because he expects me to cook. It's because I'm a little bit controlling about that because I like to have very high quality food, whole food. I love cooking from scratch. I really want to feed my kids as much as I can. I want them to learn. They already know how to cook. They're Mm -hmm. cooking with us. They make all kinds of dishes, curries, omelets, pancakes. They can almost make that from scratch themselves. That's fantastic. Yeah. But what I will say is, um, so that's really the piece of it is I I kind of make myself the head chef, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but my husband (laughs) is a outstanding cook. He's amazing. He's the guy that's going to take the, you know, 45 minutes, learn a recipe. He's going to smoke the spices. He's going to go <laughs> and get all these ingredients. Like we've been making lots of homemade sushi lately. Mm, amazing. So he drives for like 40 minutes to get this fresh sushi grade fish from this Japanese store and proper dashi and like, or he'll make, he, he don't tell anyone, but he think he kind of makes better Indian food than me, which is, it's because he'll take more time. I <laughs> mm-hmm. cook. I'm a quick working mom cook. Mm-hmm. Um, so the difference is there is my husband's very much culinary, perhaps yes. like you, he's a foodie. Mm-hmm. Um, he researches recipes that he's interested in trying um, and things like that. He made crepes this weekend. Oh. You know, he just decided to make crepes and he'll, he'll want to, he wants to make something else. I am a utilitarian cook. I'm not a foodie. Mm-hmm. The food I make is delicious, but it's very simple and nutritious. And that's why I'm like the weeknight cook. I can get out of any anything in the house. I can make a meal in 20 minutes and it's going to be delicious. So those are kind of our household food roles. So would you say that on like a Sunday night and you're maybe celebrating a birthday or like a win that week, your husband's like, okay, you oh, know, yeah. Oh, cook, yeah. cook, cookbooks out, apron yeah. on, let's, yeah. and let's make a meal. Let's, yes. you know, okay. <laughs> he loves... He loves talking about, you know, like what kind of dishes and food are we going to make this weekend? Like he does like to try new things and use it when we have that extra little bit of time Mm -hmm. or when we do have a celebration to Mm -hmm. like be like, let's do something, you know, fun and special. Absolutely. He's, uh, I forget what we're planning for this weekend. It might be something, um, I'm not sure, but it'll be something. I know that there's something that we have to get this weekend because we're going to do it for the first time. (laughs) Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, as obviously as a mother, you know, it would be nice to have that kind of time, but most times it's like, okay, 20 minutes, kids are already starting to hit the walls, trying to get that on the table. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something I really try and teach the families that I work with is that it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be Instagrammable. It doesn't have to have all of these fancy ingredients. You can make super simple, you know, I grew up with parents that, uh, middle-class parents, you know, we, we had a great life. I didn't want for anything, but certainly we were eating simple food because, well, sure we had oysters once in a while, but mm-hmm. we were Salvation. eating, yeah, we were eating food that was like very basic ingredients, but was made into delicious, easy food. And that's really what I want to teach the families that I work with is that you can have foods and meals happening and they can be delicious and easy and fast. Amazing. Okay. So yeah. I kind of want to do some like staple foods. Yeah. And I think a little interesting twist would be from your background as a nutritionist, what would you say in every household should be a staple carb? A dried pasta. Dried pasta? I mean, dried pasta. Uh, I think there's lots of other interesting grains. I know people will be like pasta, what the heck? 
Pasta has a lot of really interesting benefits. Number one, in Canada, we have vitamin fortification programs here, which people may not realize is different than other countries. And the added advantage there, especially, I mean, I am speaking as a working mother with children to other working mothers and parents with kids, is it has iron in it. It has actually quite a bit of protein in it. One really, and kids love it. (laughs) One of the things is that children need a lot of carbohydrate to grow and develop. Um, They're growing and developing at the same time. So we are not growing and developing other than hopefully spiritually. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) the kids need those types of really high energy dense foods. It's quick. It's easy. You can make a million different recipes with it. Um, It doesn't go bad. You can have pasta literally can be shelf stable for five years if it's in a dry sealed container. And um, it also can be cooked in such a way that you build resistant starch. And that's actually an amazing prebiotic. So when I say pasta, sure, it could be whole wheat pasta. It doesn't have to be wheat. It could be any pasta that you enjoy, but even regular plain white flour pasta that people might think, oh, like white flour pasta, I shouldn't be having that. It's a fantastic food. When you undercook it, you really keep it al dente. So it's got a bit of that chew to it that actually contains resistant starch and that supports the growth of healthy gut bacteria for your kids and yourself. So it's a prebiotic fiber rich food. There is of course now pastas in 2020 that are going to be made with inulin and different fibers that are actually also digestible for those good gut bacteria. And they can actually help to help that gut bacteria flourish, but even regular pasta cooked al dente, it's a low glycemic, um, very nutrient dense food. So that's a, that's a must have in my household. That's amazing. Well, now I feel, don't feel so bad that my son I know. Says, I mean, this is too crunchy. And I'm like, it's al dente. Because <laughs> <laughs> my husband, I it. can't stand mushy pastas and I don't feel so bad. No, good. <laughs> um, what would you say? I usually ask what, a preserved meat because I think every culture yeah. sort of has a preserved sort of meat um, that's always, you know, in the pantry or in the fridge. What would you say is like a healthy something to have in the fridge or in the pantry would be a good st- staple for any household? Well, what I will say is that my father's side of the family growing up were strict vegetarians, like many Indian people of Indian descent and Hindu in particular, in particular. So there was no meat. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother's side of the family, my mom, yeah, she wouldn't have had any preserved meats um, being, but they would, but she loved uh, Eastern European preserved meat growing up. So my mother loved kielbasa and different Polish type sausages and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think preserved meat is is a tough one because it really depends how it's made. I think there's some great quality butcher shops that might be making something that's better quality, but ultimately um, I would go more for a canned like a canned fish. I don't know if that fits into this category. Okay. I would say canned sardines or canned salmon would be the top two picks for a shelf stable pantry protein item. The reason Mm -hmm. why is sardines are the absolute best fish you can eat. They are actually packed with omega-3 fats and they're, they are the ones that eat the algae. And then bigger fish eat those sardines to get their omega-3 fats. You're really just Mm -hmm. going right to the source. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's lots of fun and interesting. I know they can be a bit gnarly when you open them for the first time, but there's lots of cool ways you can have sardines. Canned salmon I love for all members of the household because it's rich in both protein and omega-3 fats and calcium. So for people who aren't consuming dairy products or whatever, um, the little bones in there, you know, mash it up with some green apple and some mayo and some mm. lemon. Oh, it's so good. That sounds um, delicious. Salmon melt, you know, you can do salmon cakes, you can make salmon salad sandwich. It's a great way to get calcium and protein and omega-3 fats. So you kind of can't beat those two uh, pantry protein items. Growing up, would you say that there was a very traditional uh, stew or curry that is just your absolute favorite that you still make for your kids today? Yeah, I make a mung dal. That was like my hands down favorite. Another one is the red split lentil, which is masoor. Um, it's just my go-to. So I don't even have to think. 
I don't even have to, I just make it and it always goes well. It always tastes good. It freezes well. Um, it's very simple to make. Lately, I've been making it in the, since I've had children a Nepalese style, which uses um, vegetables, like actual chunks of vegetables, which typically would not be in it. Um, but there's another style of Indian curry called Navratan curry that also has chunks of vegetables. And that was just kind of to mix it up. But those are the mung and masoor dal are my two top two go-tos. Is there a traditional dessert that you love? Oh, I just ate a whole bunch of it this weekend. <laughs> so this past weekend was Diwali. And so um, I love Indian desserts. Now, I don't like the super high sugar ones. So there's one that looks like an orange um, electric. Like if you had an electric stovetop, it looks like a burner when it's on high. It's called jalebi. Okay. And that is basically just like fried sugar in a, in a, in a spiral. That's a bit <laughs> too sweet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> People love it. I got to tell you, that's a little too... I like the desserts that have a bit more body. So there's another mm-hmm. type of dessert made in English. You know, people will call it milk cake. In Hindi, it can be called burfi or matai, which just means generally sweets. But it's made with like milk protein. And then they will add to that like sugar and then nuts. Um, and they might add some different floral essences like rose water. And then in Indian desserts, those um, little tiny little cakes, they have often silver, like actual pure silver or pure gold leaf on them because it's oh, wow. celebratory food. Mm-hmm. So there's a little one. There's a couple of those that I love. One is called Baharda, which is my favorite one, which is round. And then there's the classic, classic Indian Gulab Jamun, which is basically like if anyone's listening and they know the old school 1970s, freshly made Tim Hortons Timbits. It's like a Timbit looking thing soaked <laughs> in honey. Tastes Ooh. a heck of a lot better though. It's basically a little do- a ball of dough and it has some cardamom in it. And it's kind of like a very mild, but fantastic flavor. And then they soak it in honey. And then you just mm. eat it with spoon and it is fabulous. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with dough and honey. You can't. Not really. A little Not bit really. of spice. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. And, <laughs> and I like that essence. I like the little bit of floral and cardamom has kind of a floral aspect to it. And some mm-hmm. of the Indian desserts tend to be a bit perfumey, which I personally really like. And mm-hmm. so other people, other people may not, but I like that. Um, as a kid, if you, I mean snacking it people feel one way or another about snacking but yes. if you're you know you come home from a day out dinner's not quite it's not quite dinner time what would your mom say okay let's is a quick snack for us we had terrible snacks sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was just the influence because I was the youngest and my brother was quite a bit older that we had a lot of chips in our house mm. and it could be why I really love chips I love potato chips they're really 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 not good for you probably the number one food I would recommend people try to curb and having, but I love them. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately it's funny. Yeah. Some of our snacks, we used to have a lot of crackers and cheese. We'd have chips. I even remember this is crazy having chips and dip <gasps> like straight. So yum. Yep. Um, <laughs> other things like nuts. We had a huge amount of nuts, all different variety of nuts. Um, so I would eat lots of nuts after school fruit, um, yeah, I think th- those kind of that kind of wraps it up pretty much. There was some t- the odd time we'd have a bowl of cereal as a snack, mm-hmm. um, but those would be the main snacks that we would have had. And do you have a quick or easy sort of like recipe that you'd like to share with everybody? Uh, for what a snack? For anything, any sort of recipe. Oh, I mean, we kind of talked about easy soups and easy stews that are fantastic oh, yeah. for freezing. Okay, let me give it to you real quick here. Okay, super easy. I'm going to go into my brain. 
Um, do we want it to be like a one that I ate or one that I eat now that I really love? There's a couple. They're so easy, but I'll give you two real quick. One is basically take a pan, turn it on with oil. You want a non, uh, probably not olive oil, something like a canola, a grapeseed. You could also potentially use butter, but just make sure it doesn't burn. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't use coconut oil just because it adds a coconut flavor and that wouldn't be good. So you heat up some oil. You want to throw in some turmeric, some coriander, some cumin. Um, from my region in India, you can put in a little garam masala. You're supposed to finish the dish with garam masala, but I'm a rebel. I like to throw it in at the <laughs> beginning. I don't care. Mm-hmm. little black pepper. Um, and let that saute and simmer in the oil so it actually heats and, and cooks up a bit. Then you're going to throw in some garlic, and you're going to throw in some onions, and you're going to cook that and saute that for two or three minutes. Uh, then you're going to add in maybe some diced tomato of some kind, um, small amount, maybe half a cup. Um, and so you let that kind of all, all mixture kind of come together and it's been cooked. The spices should have been roasted. You may, I sometimes add a little bit more spice there because I like a really spicy dish. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to add in your rinsed uh, one cup of masoor dal, throw that in there. You just fill the pot to water. So you're going to do this all in a pot in the bottom of the pot. Mm-hmm. And then you just fill it up so that it's about one inch of water above the dal crank it up to a boil, bring it back down, simmer for 15, 20 minutes, and you have a delicious doll. Oh, that sounds so good. Second super fast recipe, take cans of canned chickpeas, open it, rinse it, throw it in a bowl, chop up uh, half a cucumber diced up. You can either throw in some cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes and cut them into quarters, or you could do an actual tomato if it's the summertime and they're actually good and dice that up and throw it in. Um, You're going to add black pepper, sea salt. You're going to do like a tablespoon or two of olive oil, about a quarter to a half lemon juice, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, and then you are going to get some bocconcini, little mini bocconcinis that are the same size as the chickpea. Mm -hmm. And you're going to drain those, throw those in there. Um, And then I might also add in a dash, or if you don't have bocconcini, they might be hard to get, just do some feta cheese in there. And that's kind of, and you know, if you have pepper lying around, you can dice up a pepper and throw it in there, but that's Mm -hmm. a classic quick chickpea salad that never goes wrong. Well, and that's a whole meal. Right it's there. a whole meal. Yeah. If you want to throw in, if you have parsley lying around, dump parsley in there. If you have any leftover grains from the day before, mm. uh, you can throw those in there and just make a really quick and easy salad. That's chickpeas have got to be my go-to. They're like a go-to food for me. Yeah, me too. I always have some in the in the pantry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's another great pantry item. That's a must have. So how can people find you? How can they work oh. with you? Oh, please. Anytime. So I'm uh, pretty active on Instagram or I should be more active, but I like to say I'm very active on there. So mm-hmm. family meals, nutritionist, family.meals.nutritionist. I'm going to say that your my Instagram handle could change by the time this comes out. You never know. <laughs> um, I can't seem to to keep my, I'm, I'm working on a new website right now. So we're doing mm-hmm. a little bit of tweaking that way, but Instagram, you can search by my name, Nushta Saxana. I am a registered dietitian and pediatric nutritionist and family nutritionist. Um, DM me on there. You're welcome to email me. I am I am uh, always happy to have emails from people that want to work together or just want to chat. Um, my email is nish at simplyvibrantnutrition.com. And again, the URL may change, but we'll make sure we redirect you. Right now, mm-hmm. we're at our website is simplyvibrantnutrition.com and the company is called Vibrant Nutrition. So even if you Google that um, or if you search on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. Um, but I would say the top two ways to reach me would be through a DM or an email 
Um, and, and yeah, please, we, we actually, I actually have a link in my Instagram. If you wanted to do a discovery call, if you feel like I could somehow help you or your family, um, you can go ahead and book yourself in to talk with me for free for 15 minutes. And I primarily do work with families and children. Um, I have over, let's see here, 15 years of clinical practice experience and I do research as well. Um, and I'm a busy mom of two. So I have a lot lot, a lot of experience working with thousands and thousands of families from all different backgrounds, trying to help them understand parenting is hard, but feeding doesn't have to be. I love that. Fantastic. Okay. So we have some quick little fun, silly questions just to wrap up if you're game. Yes. I love silly. I'm always game. Okay. Uh, Water or land? (laughs) Are these things just like general? Oh, land. Land. Okay. Sand or grass? Grass. Uh, Apple or orange? Apples, come on. (laughs) Pineapple or coconut? Ooh, coconut. Okay, Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Neither, okay. If I had to choose because you had, (laughs) you were going to force me, I would definitely say Coke, but I would, I I detest pop. You detest pop. What's your go-to drink? Water. Water. Second, coffee. (laughs) Third, definitely some dashes of red wine in there. Okay, perfect. Um, Sun or moon? Oh, moon moon. And if you had to describe your personality as a dish from any culture, anywhere, what would it be? Oh no. What would it be? Well, let's see here. I'm passionate. So it would have to be something spicy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I am, have been told I am a bit eccentric and quirky. So perhaps something, (laughs) something with a variety of ingredients. Um, and, uh, I like to think that I am nourishing to people, friendships and as a parent and as a partner. And so, uh, what would be, I think I might be just like a good old fashioned spicy doll. I think that might be what I am with some, with some fried onions. I I can't really think of anything else. I love that. Or if I was a, if I was a dessert, I might be trifle because it's like unexpected, Mm -hmm. but yet has multiple layers and textures. Um, it, it's very satisfying and it's full of flavor. So Either one, I love that. A yeah. full meal, a dinner and dessert. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've never been asked that. I should think about that more. Well, you, now that I've asked you for sure, tomorrow you're going to think, oh, maybe I know. this one. And, and then the next like, day, maybe oh, this one. I was a bechamel, I'm sorry, I was a bechamel lasagna. Sorry, I take it all back. No, I have, I have no idea. I think I do. I might, as a meal, I probably change day to day because I do think I change every day. So, I mean, we're always evolving. So I love yes, that. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, today was so much fun. Thank you so much. I'm loving these recipes. I'm definitely mouth-watering. Going to go check in my pantry, see what I can make tonight. Fantastic. time. Oh, my great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. This was super fun and uh, have a great day and have fun uh, doing all the culinary things that you do. Thank you. (laughs) Isn't Nishtra fantastic? I loved our chat. I wanted to elaborate a bit more about meals around a table. As a child, most of my family meals at a shared table were restaurant meals, which yes, happened often, but it was something that I felt I was missing out on even as a child. And now with my own family, I feel it's so important to eat at the table at least once a day with my husband and children. The time spent at the table breaking bread nourishes more than just the body, it nourishes the soul. I wanted to mention I'll be taking the next two weeks off and posting. I'm so excited for y'all to hear the first episode when I get back from this short break. I won't give too much away, but it's a biggie, lots of food history. Until next time, please remember to rate, leave a review, and subscribe. If you're hungry for more, check out foodisculture.apodcast on Instagram for some fun content.